Real JP Multimedia, proud sponsor of the Nerdball Podcast. Here to help you with all things audio, video, graphics, photo, web design. From weddings to real estate, commercial business to private use, we offer a big variety of services for almost any budget. And if we can't do it, we will find someone who can. Find us at realjp.com. That's R-E-E-L-J-P.com. Real JP Multimedia. I'm Keith Bergman, and this is the Nerdball Podcast. This is the Nerdball Podcast with Lorenzo Melcher. Great. All right, Keith. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on my podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we've known each other for a while. Uh, you were actually on the podcast when we did like COVID calls during COVID. That's right. Yeah. Um, so let's make this one a little more happy. <laughs> <laughs> Not COVID, right? Uh, how you been doing, man? Oh, been busy. Yeah, uh, been all kinds of. I quit comedy. I came back to comedy. It was a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely get into all that. Uh, yeah. The first thing I want to have you do, though, mm-hmm. um, is. I tend to forget the premise of my podcast. The beginning thing is I always ask people, like, what are you nerding out about lately? Something you've been into, something, uh, if it's been your whole life or something recent. The only thing is can't be your job. Uh, just something, uh, and I know a lot about you, so I kind of probably know what you're going to say. But something <laughs> something that you just, like, something to, like, kind of get away from life and just, like, be focused on this thing. Um, does it count if it's something that's maybe turning into a job? <laughs> uh, yeah, because, well, well, and we'll get into, you don't really have a job job. Um, right. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. Um, the thing, I mean, you know about me that I'm really into old video games and old yeah. computers and, uh, I have been sort of rediscovering programming. Okay. Like I'm coding on 40 year old computers. <laughs> so... <laughs> Why? It's well, for one thing I know how to do it. I okay. don't know how to, I don't know how to code on a new machine. But, okay, all right. Um there's something really fun about just making it do stuff or like and you know, bringing the life and idea that I might have had when I was a kid for okay. this computer when it was all I had. Yeah. And I can't, you know, I didn't know how to do it then, but now I have the patience and the you know, and I can sit and make it work. And uh what the reason I said it might turn into a job thing, um I have a friend of mine who is a software programmer by trade. Mm-hmm. He's actually taking some of my old retro games and turning them into apps. Oh, really? We have one that's almost finished. We're going to launch, hopefully, at the beginning of the year. Uh, it's a really simple game. It's basically like, uh, it's called Dice Crash, and the premise is basically Yahtzee meets Tetris. Okay. So the dice come down, and you have to arrange them and try to form hands and get points. <laughs> wow. And uh, so I made this game, like, years ago on the <laughs> on the uh, Texas Instruments 994A computer. And uh, that's I don't even know what that is. That seems really it's, old. It's very. It's they. It was discontinued <laughs> in 1983. Oh wow! So <laughs> it has uh, your microwave probably has more computing power now. That's crazy. It, it's, it came with like 16k of memory and like very primitive sound and graphics and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I made it on this thing. I released it. There's a very small little community of people still playing with these things. And okay. you know, these couple dozen nerds saw it and played with it, and it kind of came and went. And then my friend Matt was like, this would make a really good phone game. Yeah. And I was like, whatever. And so, you know, all these, you know, life gets in the way, years go by. And then one day he just starts sending me screenshots and videos of, like, the game in progress. That's insane. So. It, that's such a, it's such a niche thing. Because you just said there's a, you know, a couple dozen people that are, you know, with these computers. Right. Uh, does it, because it's 
I mean, because it's old, I feel like you're doing this for you, right? Because you want to do this. Like, it's not now it's turned into a moneymaker, but you didn't think about that. Like, hey, I'm going to take this device that was discontinued in 1983 and start doing stuff with it. Right. It was never, yeah, it was never like a, it was never going to be like a side hustle or a second job. It was yeah. just something I, I get a kick out of doing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of a connection to my childhood. And, you know, I used to sit when I was a kid and I would program, this thing was so old. Uh, it had it had disc drives like floppy disc drives, mm. but they were so expensive. All I had was a cassette player. <laughs> like literally, you recorded your sound and yeah. you, you would record your programs on a cassette, and it sounded like a fax machine. Wow! And it made this horrible noise, and it took like five minutes to save your game. And uh, then if and then if you forgot and reset the computer, you lost everything. <laughs> oh, no. Which I did a couple times <laughs> when I was a kid and would freak out. Sure. But, yeah. Uh, it's so. I mean, it's it's fun. To, like, I, it, it's fun from a collector standpoint. Like, I you know, I collect all the old game cartridges and stuff like that, and I buy and sell some of that stuff. That's part of my quote unquote. You know, I work from home and I sell stuff. I sell music mostly, but yeah, I do sell like some retro stuff online as well. So it kind of grew out from that. But it was never. Yeah, it was never a thing of like this is going to be. I'm going to make a big popular game on on a, on the iPhone. Yeah, it was always just like this is. But at the same time, I like the idea. I figure if, if you can make a game on 40-year-old technology that's mm-hmm. still fun, then it's a good game. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I think a lot of games come out and they just, they look amazing because the it's like you can kind of prefab together a game out of like whatever assets. You know, if you buy the software or whatever, you can kind of cobble something together that mm-hmm. looks amazing, but it doesn't have any actual gameplay to it. Yeah. But if you can make a game, I mean, that's why like Tetris was so popular in the first place. It was the most simplistic thing in the world, but it was addictive. Yep. And you could play it on a phone or a watch. It was so you know, even back in the day, it was such a simple game. But the the you know, it's people are still playing it today. Yeah. So that's kind of the goal. Like you know, I wanted I wanted to make something cool, but it's mostly just it's it's kind of to me, it's like the like the computer equivalent of doodling. Or just sure. drawing in a sketchbook. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's like, here's a cool idea. And then I can, and the nice thing about old computers is you just fire it up and start typing and you're coding. You know, it's not, it's not, it, there's no barrier to entry at all. It's yeah. very simple, you know, print this, go to this, input this. It's very simple, old school stuff. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome. And that's, that's like the perfect answer to this question because some people, I mean, people have whatever they're into, they're into, right? Um, and that is like super, like, like here's this one track, here's this thing, you know, and it's but but also you're doing it because it's fun, and that's that's what I want with this question. Like, yes, you do things for your job that's that are fun, but you have to do these things. What's something you don't have to do, but you want to do it? You right. Know? And that's that's a great example of that. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun. I actually one of the, one of my COVID projects when we were locked down was uh, for years I've had one room of our basement that was going to be I always call it the war room, mm-hmm. and that was going to be where all my because I have probably a dozen old computers. I have a Texas Instruments, a Commodore 64, an Apple II, some other forgotten technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years, it just all, like, a lot of it just sat in boxes. It was, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually get to go downstairs and may, play with it. I yeah. didn't get to do it. You know, I would dig stuff out if I was selling things or whatever, but I wasn't having any fun with it. It was just kind of this big hoardery mess in the basement. <laughs> so I started, you know, I was not on the road doing comedy. I couldn't go anywhere, really. So uh, we, I sort of took some time and actually just emptied that room out and started over. I had an electrician come in, rewire the whole room. I have, oh, like, wow. I have like 36 plug outlets on their own <laughs> circuit breaker. And I just went nuts buying like six foot tables and shelves from Ikea. And my, well, my wife put those together. <laughs> but, that's, 
But ba- I think she was just excited that it was going to become something useful for once. Yes, and something it, neat and orderly. Right, and it's not even close to that yet. But it's <laughs> it's, it's further than it's ever been. Sure, yeah. And it's it's almost like a little computer museum in my house. Yeah. And all my books, I've you know each of these computers, I've got manuals, I've got packages for the software, I've got, and so now I can go. All of them are set up. I can just go click them, fire them up, and play a game or type some stuff. Or I, you know, it's and if I get new stuff, I don't like get it and let it sit on my table for mm-hmm. six months while I stare at it. I can actually go fire it up and test it out. So, so when you buy uh, like new to you computers, um, are they are they always are they not working and you got to get them back working, or is there a mix mix of that? It depends on the company. The nice thing about Texas Instruments was they were like a defense contractor, so all their stuff was built like crazy tough. Oh, okay. So pretty much every Texas Instruments thing I buy, it could be sitting in a barn for three decades. I fire it up, it works. No kidding. Uh, Commodore stuff, terrible. <laughs> like really flimsy. <laughs> like every the disk drives go out of alignment. Um, and I'm not a big hardware guy. I'm not really big on like taking things apart and fixing them. There's okay. a couple... I have a couple really old computers going back to like 76, 77. Mm-hmm. And a couple of those, like in like the user groups and stuff online, they tell you like, if you buy one, don't even turn it on. Oh, really? Because it's probably going to catch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see white smoke come out the back. Holy crap. Unless you do X, Y, and Z before you even fire it up. Yeah. yeah. So though there's there's a couple, and that's that's more, that's where a lot of people get into the hobby, but I'm not, I'm more of like a coder or like okay. a game player. And, uh, so, so when you look for these, you're looking like, hey, are they operational? Yeah, I like to find ones that work or find ones that, you know, what I'll do a lot of times is I'll buy, I'll buy a collection just to get a few of the pieces of software. Okay. Because there's a lot of the stuff. I mean, most of these systems, you can get an emulator and play it on like a Windows PC. Mm-hmm. But there are some software that never made that jump that there's, there might, there's one, there was one that I found that hadn't been archived anywhere recently. I found it on a disc. It was an adventure game this guy put out in 1983. And I cannot remember the name right now, but it was like one of those old texted, like there's no graphics. It's just okay. you you type in like go north and it says you're walking to the oh, castle. Okay. Um, and then you have to find things and interact with this wizard that's trying to kill you and stuff. But this <laughs> game pretty much was lost. It didn't exist. Like it's, there was no, I, like you'd look, you would Google it, nothing. There was like, we found one picture of an ad in like a scanned old computer magazine from 1983. That was it. And then I was just was going through these random discs, and I found it, and I was like, "Oh my! I think that's you know." <laughs> so we found this lost the game. Holy grail of it. <laughs> and uh, so I so I copied all the files and I put it up on one of the like the for one of the user forums. Mm-hmm. So it's it's out there now, and it's like part of the part of the canon, you know. But yeah, it's you know that's my favorite thing is to find stuff like that. Some dude sat there forty years ago, yeah. probably thinking he was going to get make some money, you know, he's going to start his little software company and <laughs> sat there at his kitchen table writing his game and then probably sold nine copies. <laughs> and it was just lost to history, but yeah. then we found it. So it's like archaeology, kind of. I, I think uh, part of finding these little, or finding these hobbies and these secondary things to, to get away is also finding people, or uh, finding people who also like these things. Yes. Because you, you're so like, like you explain this to me, like I know some of what you're talking about. <laughs> But you can like really nerd out to these other people because they know everything you're talking about and they know all these things. They're like, hey, I was looking for this one thing and then two guys are like, oh, I have that one thing. Right. You know, to be able to have this community of people to to help with your hobby or with your with this thing you're you're doing. Yeah, like they get they get the entry level references and stuff. They might, you know, or they they or like with the coding stuff, uh there are a couple guys, yeah, a lot of a lot of Europeans for some reason are still into the old stuff. And 
I, when I was working on my dice game, actually, there were I was putting up pictures of the I was putting up screenshots of the game and like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm working on this. And I, there were a couple places where I had some issues like figuring out how to do the scoring and stuff. And they had some really good suggestions for everything from like helping me fix some code to like helping me like find a bug in the code oh. or even. And then one guy was like, hey, try this with your font. And like he showed me this thing to make the numbers a little bit smaller, but then they had a little more space between them on the screen, and <laughs> nobody would have, you know. Yeah, wow. It's the weirdest because there's this weird like you have to like you have to do this like weird to make the graphics on the TI. I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but you have to define all these like lines with like 16 bit. It's called hexadecimal. Like it's like zero through nine, and then ten through fifteen is like A B C D E F. Mm, okay, okay. So like, if you want to light up these four pixels, you but not this one. You type a B. <laughs> if you want this, you type a C. And this dude figured out a way to like shrink the numbers and make more space so that it looked better. It was yeah. just an aesthetic thing on the screen. But that's nobody would have. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you find like you can find these guys it, right and, and it's so i'm sure it's not lost on you guys that the way you're able to progress with this old technology is because of new technology yeah oh it's absolutely there was it's a it's interesting the history of this stuff because there was a point i was i had a ti up until the like mid 90s it was really it was old then mm-hmm. and i you know finally just got to a point where i'm like what am i doing with it you know at the time i was like you know i think i sold it to somebody for very little money and then there was a point when, like, the last couple, there used to be user groups that like met in person and shared mm-hmm. software and had, you know, gave little presentations and stuff. And the last few years, like the mid '90s, people were just showing up at these user groups with all their stuff, like, "Hey, who wants this? It's free." I just, I'm, I'm clearing, I'm decluttering. Yeah. And it was really on the decline until the internet became a thing, and like people started getting on AOL, they started getting on message boards. You know, even before social media, they would just yeah. they were finding them. Find someone would put a, someone would put up a website that was like. There's actually one called Ninety Nine or .net that's been around I know since the early 2000s, mm-hmm. and it was like a focal point for people who would like. Hey, you know what? I I I really had I I played with this when I was a kid, or I you know I learned a program on this, and now I work for IBM or you know something, <laughs> and people then would like. Well, I'm going to pick one of these up again and have and, you know just sit and play some games and have fun, and then it turned into a thing. I think you see people that'll get back into it and like the TI had a really big library of educational cartridges, like games, because they because you could just plug them in like an Atari cartridge. Oh, yeah. So it was great for little kids who didn't have to try to load something off of a disc or learn commands or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, they had all these like counting games and stuff. So, so people would buy these for their grandkids and set them in front of this forty year old computer to <laughs> learn their ABCs with and stuff. Wow. Were you always into this stuff, even as a little little Keith Bergman? Um. I I was into it and I could never have it, mm, and I okay. it's not lost on me that part of this is probably just me making up for my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually do a bit about this on stage sometimes um, because my dad always thought it was bullshit. He didn't uh, like any. He yeah. thought it was you know when I wanted an Atari back in the day, it was like oh it's a fad. No one's gonna video games. Who's gonna be playing those in a year? <laughs> you know, missed yeah. the mark completely. And what makes me laugh about that is looking back. You know, he was young. Like, I think back now, like, he seemed like the oldest man in the world. Like, this is so... And then I look back, you were like 26, dude. (laughs) Have some fun. Come play Pac-Man with me. But uh, he was was not into it. And we we were pretty poor. Not, Mm. you know, not like poverty, but like, we weren't... He didn't have the money. Extra money for that. Yeah, we weren't going to... And at the time, you know... Dropping, you know, what at the time would have probably been three or four hundred dollars yeah. on a computer that honestly didn't really do anything. <laughs> you know, I think there was a big 
surge at the back in the early 80s of like it's a computer in your house and then people got it like i'm gonna balance my checkbook and <laughs> the the commercials would always show people with like bar graphs on the screen like it's it's making my life easy yeah. and then you get it and like i have nothing to do with this i can play a <laughs> kind of a crappy version of donkey kong and i can maybe do my taxes in about three times as long as it would take to do it on paper <laughs> that's yeah that's um my dad, my dad, well, not my dad. I think my grandma was the one who, like, she'd buy us everything and anything we wanted. So we always had video games. We always had something. And that's, you know, I always grew up playing video games and having that stuff. And I never, like, got into it. Like, hey, how do I, I want to make one of these, you know? Right. Because that's, it's, for me, I just wanted to play it. You know, where, where did, where is, in, in your brain, where, like, when did that kick in? Like, these are so fun. I want to learn how to do my own. I think, I think for me, it was like, what, because I didn't have one and I didn't have, or I didn't have a game system. I didn't have an Atari with pre-made games. Um, so before I even had a computer, um, I would check out books from the library mm-hmm. and they were all about programming and coding. Okay. Cause I think back in the day, they really thought everyone was going to have to learn to write their own programs. Okay. Like, I don't think they fully foresaw like it just becoming a thing that you could get in that any needs you had for a program would already be done by somebody. Mm-hmm. So, there was all this push to teach basic programming in school. And like, we got a, we had a, a Radio Shack, a TRS 80 computer in my grade school. We had one for the whole school on like a TV VCR cart that yeah. they wheeled around. <laughs> and nobody did anything with it because yeah. no one, the teachers had no, nobody really asked for it. It just kind of showed up one day. And uh, so I went to the library and all these, all the books I got were like, write your own program, you know, like write a program that picks a random number unless you guess it. So oh, then. Okay. And I would get kids standing in line in the hallway to play this stupid, like, guess the number game. Because I was the only one that could do anything with the computer. How old were you when you were doing this? Oh, God, probably like nine or ten. Okay, all right. And uh, so it just always became a thing. Like, learning to learning to make it do stuff was always just part of learning it. It wasn't... Okay. And I think if I had started just... If I had started with a video game system, I might not have gone that way. Because I would have been used to just, well, here's a cartridge, pack hands on me. it. Yeah. But, uh... You know, and being able, and then like getting programs like the big one of the big things back in the day was the the computer magazines that you'd buy would have type in programs. Mm, okay. So you would like, oh, here's a game you can play, but you first you have to type 350 lines of code, and if you get one thing wrong, it's not going to work. <laughs> and then next month there'd be, oh, hey, me, we made a mistake in the printing. Here's an error correction. <laughs> here's why it, did, it was our fault. Yeah, after yeah. 12 hours of trying to debug it yourself. <laughs> So it was just kind of part of that culture back then. Like you didn't really have a computer without at least taking a stab at like making things for it yourself. Was there? A, I mean, you you talked about when you were nine or ten doing this, and is that when you just keep doing it? Or was there a time where like hey, I just I'm not into it anymore. I'm gonna do something else. I I got out of it. Like when I sold my TI, uh, I messed around with it up until probably college, and then you know then I you know I needed to buy like an actual current system that yeah. I could turn homework in on and stuff, and. uh so and then and that's when I kind of got in. I bought a, I actually bought a Commodore Amiga, which was a really great computer. That it was like the next step up from the Commodore sixty four and those. Mm-hmm. And that w- it was a really good game system, but it wasn't as popular here. It was kind of like the nowadays of like whether you're like a PC gamer or an Xbox, you know. Oh, okay. Like I had this Amiga, and I, it was like the hit of the dorm room because I had Sim City and I had Desert Strike and all these games that were like probably like. Sega games like Sega Genesis era games. Okay. And uh 
that's when I, I sort of stopped doing as much programming and was more like just playing games and just using the computer as like a functional tool because it finally had gotten to the point where they were somewhat you useful. Yeah. Where, uh, where'd you go to college at? Uh, I went to UT. I, I okay. didn't finish, but I went, I came up here. That's uh, the whole reason I live here. I got a scholarship to go to UT. Oh, really? So I moved, where, where are you from then? Uh, New Philadelphia, Ohio. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's a little, little town of just right south of Akron and Canton. All right. And uh, what was, uh, what were you going to school for? Well, I actually, I was in because I was so into computers. Yeah. I was thinking about programming, and I always wonder, like, if I had stuck with it and actually tried. <laughs> but when yeah. I got past, I mean, I've never been a big math guy, and Me the too. first thing, the, the first thing, they're <laughs> like, "Well, yeah, I mean, because I, I took, I was taking AP classes in in school in high school, mm-hmm. and I got to like trig and calculus, and I just, it was like my too brain much, deflated. Yeah. I think I might have. I don't know if I actually failed calculus, but if not, I was skin of my teeth to even pass the class. Well, better than I, I, my brain deflated in algebra too. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was okay up to like algebra, like that makes sense to me. And a lot of basic programming is pretty much algebra. It's okay. a lot of like very simple formulas and comparing numbers and things like that. But then uh, geometry and theorems and stuff like anything from there on and calculus was just like, no, I don't like. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they're like, well, when you get to college and start doing computer programming, you're going to have to get right back into all this heavy math. And I'm like, I'm going to start writing. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to ask you. So so because of that, you're just like, I'm not going to college anymore? Or did you trans- try to transition to an English major or I something? did. Yeah, I, I, tra- I, I, went, I, went to, I went to English ma- to an English major. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was in the honors program, so I was supposed to do this big independent project and stuff. But honestly, it was just I wasn't – I was being – I went from a town of 20,000 people to Toledo, mm-hmm. which, you know, when we drove across the bridge, uh, crossing the river for the first time to go up to my, see my dorm and stuff, it was like a movie, you know, like this, this massive city. It's got the, the silos over here. It's all gritty. And I'm just like, <laughs> what's going on? You know? And, uh, and I just didn't adjust. Well, I just, I, and I wasn't serious about it. I didn't want to go. Yeah. And it was, had you I not, you don't want to go to college at all. No, I didn't. Okay, I I wanted to event. I knew I eventually. I was very much on that. Like I have to go eventually. Yeah. But all I really wanted was to hang out with my friends. Yeah. And I don't know if I had if I'd gotten that scholarship. If I hadn't gotten the scholarship, I don't know if I I might still be managing a subway in New <laughs> Philadelphia. Because <laughs> that's all. I mean. I had friends, my friends that were a little bit older mm-hmm. that I would like go, like they had computers and video games and then they would like, I'd go to my one friend Scott's house and they would play Dungeons and Dragons and I would hang out. And it's like, he was a little bit older than me. He had his own place. He had money. He had a car. And I'm like, that's the dream. That's it. That's yeah. all. Why would you want anything else? Yeah. And so I would have probably just stayed and put off going to college forever. <laughs> well, there's, uh, I mean, th- there. The, at some point, there was like a big. Everyone has to go to college. Go to college, and it's still kind of that way. But we're, people are starting to pull back a little bit from that. I think, or I feel that way. I know when I talk to high school kids, coaching them, you know, uh, I ask what they want to do. They're like, oh, I, I think I want to go to college, or I want to do this, or I want to go to the military. This, all this stuff. I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, he says instead of asking like, what do you want to do? I, he he goes, I always ask what what are your what's the lifestyle you want to live? Because that kind of lends to well, I want to do I want to be like this. And then here's the job. Well, then here's what things are open for you. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things, one of the few things that I like pat myself on the back with my son. <laughs> he's a, he's 21 now, and he's actually in the Air Force. But yeah. he was having a really rough time in high school because the same thing. He hit the same point I did where he just kind of quit caring. Yeah, it just it seemed like too, it wasn't worth it. He didn't want to do it. Um, so he was he was struggling a little bit. 
and I kind of had a talk with him. And the best way I could put it was sort of in that same way. Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm the worst person to tell you, you got to buckle down and do it because I certainly didn't. (laughs) But I also spent a lot of my single life before I married your mom, really broke, like starving artist, you know, Mm -hmm. crappy apartment. I took, you know, I couldn't go buy a new PlayStation when it came out. I couldn't have a new, a good car. I didn't have any car for a while because I was so broke. And it was like, I made the choices I made and I don't regret any of them, but you don't want to live like that. I know you and I don't, you don't want to be that guy. You don't, there's not, you want, the you want that material stuff you want that that comfort level mm-hmm. you have to do enough to get yourself that yeah and it kind of sunk in for him and he kind of turned it around a little bit and then when he just was he didn't really want to he wasn't really feeling it with college especially when covid hit and yeah. the remote learning and stuff he just kind of checked out but he knew he needed that sort of little bit of discipline little bit of routine and he really he just kind of sat down and looked at his options and said look I'm going to I'm going to try the air force and I wasn't crazy about it as a parent, but then he's thriving now. Yeah, he got that, and he's got his associate's degree. He's he's oh, doing nice. better than yeah. He like he didn't he didn't tell us that he was working on it until he got it. Oh really? <laughs> because <laughs> well, yeah. What was the reason behind that? I think he just didn't want to mess it up, or he okay. didn't want to like you know. Right. I, don't I think want to jinx this. or he might have thought that we would be like, oh, you quit school and now you're going to you know. Yeah. But I'm just happy he's doing it, and he's I mean he's he's racking up commendations and stuff. Yeah. He's doing really well. And I think he just needed that little bit of structure, that little bit of like, you know, you gotta wake up, do this, do that, and uh, oh yeah, and it's and it's a good and it's and it's obviously it's a great path, you know, it's a good it's good service and it's a good path, mm-hmm. you know. Later on, I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be able to write his own ticket pretty much. Sure, so it's uh, it was a good choice, but uh, I think a lot of it came from just realizing where you know, yeah, it's not so much like you have to do X, Y, and Z or you're a failure. It's like, you know, how, how do you let, f- figure out where you want to where you want to be and then get to that point? Yeah. And, I, I've never known so many people like my age, uh, almost 40, where they know what they want to do when they retire. <laughs> and, like, I even talked to my friend yesterday. I was at a birthday party, and we were talking about uh, the Tennessee-Georgia football game. He goes, I'm trying to turn myself into a Tennessee fan because that's where we're going to retire. And, and we're not 40 yet. <laughs> right. But, but I know a lot of people like that. But that's the same thing. Like, I know where I want to be at the end, so how do I get there and how do I do it the most comfortable way? Right. You know? And I think some of that, um, and I, th- I think about this stuff a lot, actually, because some of that, I think, comes from growing up. Uh, you know, not doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, being being a little being broke, and when you're broke, you never think long term. You're always putting out fires. <laughs> yeah. Where is the rent coming from? Where is my car insurance coming from? Where you know groceries? What am I? You know, especially trying to raise kids. It's like you know, and we when we first got married, we spent a lot of time behind the eight ball, just mm-hmm. trying to make things work or get to get through the next crisis. And then it really took a long time to realize we were in a position to think long term. Like we hadn't ever really, we were more comfortable, and we kind of very slowly made our way up yeah. to that point. And then it took a long time to get out of that mindset, though. But at some point, you're like, "Wait, we have money left over, right?" Yeah. <laughs> like you don't, you know, it's it was like, "Well, why don't we? Why don't we buy? We my, we actually on before this this morning, we my wife said something about buying a new dishwasher next string." Yeah. And I said, "Well, the dishwasher is not broken yet." <laughs> <laughs> And that's that mindset. Yeah, that's that's yeah. and as soon as I said it, I realized how it sounded. But there's no. It's really hard to to unlearn a lifetime of habits like that. Mm, yeah, especially like, yeah when you even as a kid, like when you see that, you're like, oh, it, it might not. As a nine year old, you might not think, well, I'm not going to live like this. But in the back of your brain, it gets stored. And when you get older, like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm da- I don't I'm don't want to do this right now. Right, or and you or you just you you feel like like you feel extravagant 
like like well i have money now for a dishwasher but then what if i buy that dishwasher and then i don't have any money ever again <laughs> yes. you know it's never gonna happen. <laughs> like what well, sometimes i feel like what are we we're saving money what are we saving it for though like right. like if there's something we need let's get it or if there's an experience we can give our children let's you know give them that experience yeah know? i mean a lot of stuff too there's a lot of stuff that we i used to get uh, really upset about like spending money on things I could do, even if I hated doing them, and even if it <laughs> yeah. took me forever to do them. Yep. Um, we started paying someone to mow our lawn mm-hmm. a couple years ago, and it's the most liberating thing in the world. <laughs> but I, the first couple of times, like I felt guilty. Like this dude's happy to be there because I'm paying him to be there, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to like make eye contact with him from the window because I'm like, <laughs> I'm not manly enough. I should be out there doing that, yeah. and, but I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've got things to do in the house that are, you know, and I mean, from a strict dollars and cents standpoint, I work from home. I can be generating income when I'm instead of out mowing the lawn. Correct. Yeah. And and just from a quality of life standpoint, I don't want to do it. Yep. So oh, for sure. Yeah. So it just makes and he's going to do a better job. And I we I hand him some money and it's not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. And having and I I don't ever want to lose the little bit of a sense that that is a luxury. And that's a it's a privilege to do, be able to do that, but it's also something we worked for. hundred percent. And I think you have to give yourself that little. It's that that's a better reward than like, oh, we have money left over. Let's go buy a bunch of ice cream. Or <laughs> I don't sure, know. Sure. It's a it's a more material thing, but it's still kind of that the thing of treating yourself or rewarding yourself for putting in the work. That's the hardest thing to do as a like for me as a dad, like buy myself stuff. Like it's it's and I talk to other parents. It's so hard to do, and that's the same thing with that. Like you're you're buying yourself time, right? You're mm-hmm. buying yourself time, and the feeling of not doing that, or the like, oh crap, I got to go mow the lawn. I don't want to do this. But but right. it's it's such a difficult thing, as you can see down here. There's kids stuff everywhere, <laughs> you know, because that's what we want. Like we, it's 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 so hard. Like I, uh, even to buy a hat, you know, like I just I don't right. want to spend this twenty five dollars. Yeah, I've I've gone. I I will spend. An entire year rotating the same two or three pairs of jeans because it's and it's just like you know you're not broke, dude. Go yeah. buy jeans, but then I well I can wash these jeans. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you you said you you were in in college, you were programming like, hey, I just want to write, uh, and obviously that's what you you've been doing for a long time. Um, when in in your I know you were in bands, you were uh, you're a stand up comic, um, you write stuff. When did uh, when did that I guess all that art stuff, when did that start? When did you want to do that? Um, I think it, I got into, I got really into music in high school. Um, and there again, it was like a thing. I, I didn't get into it as a fan without also wanting to make it. Okay. And I don't know if that's just a thing about me or, um, and I don't have that anymore about music, but I did for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like my friend and I, my, my best friend in high school, actually the guy who's coding my game oh. for the app, uh, he had a little guitar and I bought this crappy little drum set and yeah. we were just banging out. And then, uh, but I also, at the same time I was, I was getting more knowledgeable about music and I came to UT and one of the most meaningful things I did here, um, was start to work at the college radio station. Mm-hmm. And I started like hosting the heavy metal show on Saturday nights. And I learned a lot more then I started writing music reviews. I started writing about oh, music, wow. interviewing bands. And, uh, that grew out of that. Meanwhile, I was playing music, getting a little better, and you know, I did started some bands up here, and uh, we, over the years, made a couple different albums with a couple very small bands. And what was uh, what was your first band's name? Oh God! Well, the very first band um, it was like Keith and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend Matt and I had a the 
the we had all kinds of bands that didn't do anything. The the very mm. first tape I have of us playing anything, <laughs> um, I there was a book about the environment on my science teacher's shelf mm-hmm. called Toxic Terror. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the name of your so band? So I have a tape that's like Toxic Terror Jam Tape. <laughs> and it's literally just two idiots and like, hey, burr, burr, blah, blah. you know, it's like the yeah. worst. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the first band that I did anything serious, relatively serious with, uh, was a band called Chicken Dog. <laughs> How did you come up with that? Uh, well, that w- they were already formed. The guitar player... And the singer moved up here to go, actually to go to school. Also, mm-hmm. uh, they were a couple of years younger than me, and they, I joined up and played drums with them. And we recorded a CD. Uh, we got to open for Kid Rock a couple times. Oh, really? Well, way, way before he got like he. Sure, it was sure. weird. Kid Rock's career arc was weird because he had gotten a little <laughs> bit famous in like ninety ninety one. Okay, and then dropped off. And everyone thought he was like already washed up. Like he was a has like we played with him in like ninety five or ninety six in front of like a hundred people. Oh no shit. And he and I will say he was the nicest dude. Yeah. Uh not crazy about his music or his persona now or whatever, but yeah. he was super nice to us. Uh one of the drunkest men I've ever met in my life. <laughs> And uh, couldn't keep a band together. Every time he showed up, he had a whole different lineup oh of musicians. Gosh. But then, like a year later, like, hey, Kid Rock got a deal with Atlantic Records. Like, what? Kid Rock? And next thing you know, it's like, oh god. Next thing you know, it's Ball with the Ball. Right. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like we saw, we saw him do that song, and I am the Bull God before the album came out in front of like a couple hundred people, maybe at the asylum. Really? In that the old asylum in downtown Toledo, <laughs> and. I was just like, who's going to spend money on this guy? You know, and that shows what I know about music. <laughs> All those reviews you wrote in college, garbage now. Pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, I did that. And then the band that I was in, like, that did the most was called the PB Army, which was the guitarist and I from Chicken Dog and a couple different bass players went through. And you get, you're old enough, you get the name. It's the refer- the old Pass Blue Ribbon PB Army ASAP. So we did uh, t- we did two albums. We actually toured a lot of li- a very little like low rent van, you know, get in the van and play dive bars oh, and okay. other places. But uh, it was a lot of fun. We got we got reviewed in some magazines in Europe, and you know, we we for a little bit we were kind of like, oh, we're gonna go somewhere with this, and it kind of fizzled like those things do. Yeah, and the more it kind of became a grind and a and a exhausting to be a band guy. Like you know, it's. It's really hard once you hit like 30. If you haven't already achieved some success as a musician, mm-hmm. then you're that guy. <laughs> you're like, the, come see my band. And everyone at work's like, no, we have to go to bed. <laughs> I always felt that way whenever I was like do, doing, even just, just open mics. Like, hey, right. come check it out. And it's like, why do we want to do that? Yeah, it's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting a sitter to watch you do five minutes of jokes. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. It's man. tough. But well, that, but, the, but I realized, though, that the things I liked about being in a band, I, I liked the like really... DIY touring and the like, the setting things up, and I liked making merch. I liked, oh yeah, I liked kind of running things, and I liked having all the creative control. Mm-hmm. So the more I started like diving into stand up a little bit, the more I was like, well, I think I'm going to go with this because okay. it's way easier than carrying drums around. I was going to ask you like, what did you go? It sounded like you went right from that to to comedy. It was there was a little bit of overlap. Like the band hadn't wasn't officially over. Mm-hmm. We actually recorded most of the tracks for a third album, and it was doing that that kind of really put the nail in the coffin for me because I mean I was getting older. I was singing and playing drums, and I don't have a great singing voice, first of all. <laughs> but 
I could, I was kind of making it work, but the older I got, like I was losing some range and I was like having a hard time singing in the studio. And I just wasn't super jazzed about doing it anymore. I was, I lost the enthusiasm. And then I start doing this new thing and the new thing is making me happy. And it was like, there was, there was a little bit of overlap, but not much. Like by the time I really started going out on road trips and stuff for comedy, the band was pretty much done. And when you, when you, started comedy you know well i think well, i think about like this these tracks that you started for a third album maybe it'll be like the that game you found uh <laughs> like years from now like look at this this never released of uh these these guys these, remember remember chicken dog yeah it's two of these guys yeah the answer to remember chicken dog is always no <laughs> <laughs> um but when you started comedy how what was the scene like here in toledo it was just starting to become more open i had actually tried to do comedy a very long time like for a short time in the early like 2001 2002 Mm -hmm. um with and at that time it was really hard there were no open mics like at bars or anything uh the old comedy club connections which was down on the south end of toledo uh they had an open mic quote unquote which was three five minute spots before the show they because they would they ran shows from wednesday to saturday okay so you could come in and do three minutes on Wednesday night if you were one of the first three callers on Monday. Oh, really? So everybody that wanted to do time was like, it was like trying to win tickets on a radio station. Like, I, like, <laughs> I think I, because uh, I graduated high school in 2003, and I think I called and signed my friend up. Oh, that was that. always, and, it, it and he used, did a really good job, but it used to be, it always made me, it makes me laugh now, but it, whenever, like, us quote unquote serious comedian, you know, we were in there trying to, we're gonna become comedians, yeah. And then one of the three spots would get taken up, like, I dared my friend to do this, or <laughs> we would get so mad. And then the guy would just get up, to like, uh, yeah, I didn't really want to do this, but Bill made me sign up. The, well, well, the good thing for me is I knew he wanted to do stand up comedy, so at least that was that was part of it, right? But I can, I can understand that, yeah, yeah, but you know, now it's like clear none of this matters, <laughs> but at, the, at, yeah, the, at yeah. the time, we were like, he's taking time away. <laughs> If I'd have had that five minutes, I'd be famous now. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No. But uh, when I when I came back in like 2010, uh, there was a coffee shop over on Central called Ground Level. Okay. And Steve Weary, who used to do comedy around here, yeah, uh, he actually runs a cool little pinball bar on the South Side now, over on Heather Downs by the Distillery. And he had an open mic there, and I met some of the guys. I met some people who were out doing like road comedy and like actually getting paid gigs yeah. and. And it was a really nice little, it was one of those nice little moments in time where for about six months, there was a decent little 10 or 20 or 30 people that would show up and actually watch the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, open mics kind of seem to have a life cycle where if it's a, like, sometimes they'll catch and they'll have a really good run. And then either like the, the venue gets weird about it or the people just stop coming or whatever. But they, like they, I caught that one at a really good time. And it was within walking distance of my house. Oh, nice! So I would walk over there with my little notebook, and I and it was pretty supportive. Like I almost didn't go up the first time because I was so nervous, and then everyone was just really nice, and they were very supportive. And I was just like, well, you know, the big thing I and I I don't always believe it when I tell myself this, but anytime I'm nervous about a big like a new thing or a show, I'm, I always tell myself like, there's there are like 500 people around the world doing exactly this right now, and. It, whether they succeed or fail, you'll never know about it. Yeah, like the wor- if I walk up here and just drop my pants and embarrass myself, the world will not fall off its axis and mm-hmm. everything will be fine. So, and I had to pep talk myself into that. 
But that, that's what my, I had people when I tell them I used to do it. They're like, "How'd you do that?" I go, "I, I you're nervous every time." Uh, but that same thing, like uh, after a while, you're like, "Okay, well, I'm just up here because I want to get better." And if they don't like it, whatever, it doesn't matter. I, I just, I'm trying to. I took the mindset of, especially for open mics, I want to get these uh, recorded for me so I can hear them. Uh, obviously, we're there to please the crowd, so if that happens, cool. But first step for me is just get them out there and let's 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 see that. You know? Yeah, and you can't. And ironically, like you'll you're more likely to to make a crowd happy if you don't hyper fixate on that. Mm-hmm. If you just focus on making your jokes better mm-hmm. and don't internalize the fact that like oh there's people in this bar not listening to me because they didn't know this was happening and we ambushed them with Which comedy. That's a lot of open mics are <laughs> surprise open mics, <laughs> right? And people and you know it's like they they have the right to be disinterested, mm-hmm. but you have the right to also not care that much, you yeah. know. So. You know, and I, I've kind of, and I've really hit a point since I came back after taking a break with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to a level now where I, I, I used to say this a lot, but I think I actually feel it now. Where I'll go up and I'll acknowledge that they are not a great crowd, or I'll acknowledge that we're not all having a good time here, yeah. <laughs> and just kind of be more like in the moment and just like, hey, let's just, you know what, we're all here. You know, this, this is if this is the worst thing we have to deal with today, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like. Or I, you know, or just maybe like humorously sort of take, you know, uh, do something. I, I I mentioned last week at an open mic that everyone there individually was pretty nice, but that collectively <laughs> uh, they they had kind of a room temperature cottage cheese vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them gave me like a dirty look for it. And they were kind of like, no, nah, he's right. Now this is, yeah, <laughs> this is. It. And then by the end I was getting laughs. Mm-hmm. But it sort of like takes the it's sort of like let's just address the elephant in the room here. This isn't going well, and I'm not gonna go up here and hey everybody, how you doing? Blah, and yeah. pretend that it is. But I'm also not gonna like I hate you. You're ruining my life. You know, mm-hmm. just like, like let's just acknowledge that things are a little weird right now, and then I'll tell my little jokes, and then I'll go home. <laughs> and and that's the nature of open mics. I mean, they're right. they're they're just I mean weird. They're weird places. They're weird setups. You know, or it's in the. You know, I did, I did, I did a show. Uh, I think Meredith uh, did one in like the a restaurant, but it was the wine part of a restaurant, and mm-hmm. people were like standing in aisles. But it was like a show, yeah. you know, yeah. like like it's just wherever it is, it is, and it's already weird in some of these places. So uh, so just like enjoy yourself a little bit, you know. Yeah, and if you, it's it's always neat to me when you see a place that because it just basically any show like like if if you walked into a play. And you didn't know what a play was. Yeah. You'd be like, "Why are they talking like that? <laughs> Why are we all sitting and watching?" This is, you know, we've all just agreed that that's a thing. Yeah. So, like, one of my favorite spots to do shows on tour uh, is a brewery down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where they do a show, and it's a very small place. Mm-hmm. So it's they do the the show in the storage room where all the empty kegs are, <laughs> and there's only enough room for like three rows of folding chairs, wow. and you are right up on everybody. And you're standing behind a giant wall of kegs, and you're just in this tiny little like fire hazard place. And if you didn't know, like if like the first like it's one of those things where like if there's four or five people and they kind of wandered in there, it's like this is awful. Why yeah. are we doing? But it, once you get that critical mass and you get ten or twenty people, and and there's like a re- somebody has a really good set, 
and then all of a sudden it's like oh it's a now it's a party now mm-hmm. it's a show now we're listening now we we're we're engaged we've we've all signed on to the contract here and the fact that the show has been going for a long time now there's an established it's kind of the ground rules are already set. Yes, this yeah. is the thing. It's always really tough the first time you do a show in a new space because it's like, what are you doing? Why Why did you start talking into that mic? Mm-hmm. But if you can kind of power through that, you know, and God love people who have the fortitude to do it because it's so hard to put a show together and, you know, power through those rough early ones and make it a thing, make it a thing like, yeah. you know, and get to get people it's, it t- I mean, if you think about, if you really break it down, it's the the amount of bravado it takes to invite. Like, I'm going to put a hundred chairs on a roof, <laughs> and I want you to come listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to talk to you, and I don't want you to talk. <laughs> I want you to spend a bunch of money on beer and stuff while I talk, <laughs> and I want you to laugh, yeah. and I want you to react appropriately to my social cues. <laughs> And I don't want you to talk to me afterward other than to tell me I did a good job. <laughs> like, and, and we're also going to bring up a bunch of other strangers. Right. You know? And then just when you get comfortable, here's somebody else that you might not like. <laughs> and it's 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 the 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 balls it takes to, 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 to hey, we're doing this. Okay. Yeah. And but it's when it works, it's the best thing in the world. I so. never like I obviously I, I understood that when I would go to these shows and I like and I respect that people are trying to do something here. Uh, but you're right. It doesn't sink in until you try to do one. I I, I did it with my brother-in-law at a bar downtown uh, that my sister-in-law worked at, and it was it, it was good because he knows how to run shows because he does music and he and he had a podcast. He knows how to do all that stuff. And but the nervousness of like like I was so nervous. I just I would always just pay someone else to host. Like I didn't even want to host my own show. Like I just want people to go. I want somewhere to go somewhere where I can pay a headliner fifty bucks to go up there. Um, and and to to have my friends make some money because this is this is hard to do, right? But it was so nerve wracking because it was was one of those things where we had to tell people, hey, uh, in ten minutes, I know you probably didn't know, but we're having a comedy show, and then uh, half the people leave because they don't want to be there, which is fine. Like you said, it's their right; they don't have to be there, right? But but then to see like people, oh, you're here. By the way, we're here for comedy. Oh yeah, we want to be at the comedy show. Like oh yeah, that makes you feel better. But it is a hard thing to do. Yeah, and it's there's never been a substitute for doing comedy in front of people. Mm-hmm. Like and we we definitely learned that in the pandemic because yeah. everyone tried to do Zoom shows and stuff and <laughs> I mean a few people seemed to take to them and everything but I most people like the minute I mean I I mean there were a lot of people way, that were probably out way too early <laughs> that should not have been out in public breathing on people. Yeah. But they were just like, I can't do another damn Zoom show. I yeah. can't do it. And uh, it's there's no equivalent to practicing your guitar in your basement. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't come out of the basement. You, can, you can't come out of the basement as a great comedian. Sure. You have to sit there and embarrass yourself 500 mm-hmm. times in front of open mic crowds to get to that point where you can maybe embarrass yourself in front of a comedy club crowd and then maybe you know just keep making those steps up and up and up but at each step you have to be in front of an audience cuz yeah. you it's it's not recording a monologue it's not writing a book it's not like you know it's something that has to exist they're they're as much a part of it as you are. Well, you need you need reaction if it you need audience particip- participation if it's frowns or smiles like you need that part of it. Yeah, I mean there has to be the feedback is instant and you have to have it. You mm-hmm. can't, 
I mean, I and I mean, as long as I've been doing it, I still have a couple things in my notebook that I am swear to God, I read, I wrote it down, I laughed at myself, I thought this is, this is gonna be the closer on my yeah. next album. This is it. This is my signature. Nobody likes it. Yeah. <laughs> it's what, and yeah. I would have guessed a hundred percent that was gonna be one of my best bits, and it just nothing. And then, and there's nothing like because you you feel that, and then when you do it, there's nothing more draining than when it falls flat because you like you said this is gonna work and then it doesn't you're like great (laughs) now that that was my home run now what am i gonna do yeah it's uh (laughs) it's it's nice to be a little more experienced and have like a couple things in the holster and i've been going like when i when i've been doing long sets now you know i've only really been back at it for a few months Mm -hmm. but i've got that 10 years in my back pocket and a couple albums worth of material and i've really been going up lately uh, originally, I thought to myself, "Well, I'm go- I'm not going to headline until I have all new material. Yeah. I'm taking all the pre-pandemic stuff. I'm scrapping it. I'm starting over." And then, like a week later, someone's like, "You want to headline a show?" And it's like, "Crap, oh. I, gotta- <laughs> I, am- I can't do 45 new minutes next week, you know, yeah. or whatever." So, yeah. and then some of those, you know, and some of those bits, I'm still, you know, I don't like everything I've written. I would be a psychopath if I did. Sure, but I. There's still stuff. There's stuff that hasn't been recorded yet that I still think is good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there's no reason to just chuck all that out. So, and plus a lot of it now, like I'm telling some of these stories about being on the road and stuff sort of through the lens of this was how things were for me. This is when I, this is, you know, this is what I was doing before the pandemic. Yeah. This is what I was doing when this was all I wanted to do. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't have that single mindedness about it anymore, but it's fun to kind of go. It's almost like, being sober but telling stories about your drinking days <laughs> you know it's sure like i don't do this anymore but man when i did i gotta <laughs> you're gonna you're not gonna believe this crap yeah but it was uh so it's been and but i've been going up without with much less of a plan ahead of time i used mm-hmm. to be really rigid about set lists and i I never i'm not a crowd work guy i don't sit there ask people yeah. questions i don't like getting interacted with I, i'm like telling stories i have long bits i don't want to be I don't want to deal with a crisis in the room or shut somebody up that won't quit talking. Mm-hmm. I just want to do my thing. But now there's a lot more just like, what are we talking about now? I just, I just sort of let it fly. And it's one of the, it's been fun and it's been a, it's a new level of scary for me because I don't have a plan. Yeah. But I know I have stuff back. I have a, I have a whole holster full of stuff I can use. And it's been the, one of the most fun things for me is to be just really going at it. And then look down at my phone and go, oh, crap, I got to wrap it up. I'm yeah. done. Like, yeah. I've actually just made, you know, 45 minutes just flew by, which is such a great feeling. Yeah. And that that's uh, – and and I like – like, being in the in the community, uh, it's cool to see, like, people do – obviously, like, reach some success, whatever, whatever your degree of success is. But, like, going – when you, like, had your uh, taping in the, that Mommy Indoor Theater, like, mm-hmm. being able to go to that thing – and like be like see it, and then see our, our other friends up there that you had uh, open for you. Like it, it not only like makes me more like, oh, I want to do that at the time, but like also be happy for you guys, and like and also like it's just a lot of emotions because like I want to be that, but also happy, and and but I'm just happy to be uh, in the crowd, a part of it. Right, and that and that was a really, I mean, that's still probably one of the most gratifying things I've ever done because mm-hmm. that was just me. I mean, I 
I was, you know, I did everything from I rented the theater with my own money. I set the deal up with the beer company because they don't have a bar there. Mm-hmm. I I was literally chopping vegetables for a backstage deli tray the <laughs> day of the you show. Me that, yeah. And <laughs> and I say that not to like I'm such a hard worker, but it's like, well, plus first of all, I needed something to do or I was going to go crazy. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> Surprised I didn't chop a finger off. <laughs> But that's what you had to do, right? But yeah. but it was but we micromanaged that thing so much. We did the Eventbrite tickets. We had seating charts put together. It was like I sp- I specified where to put certain people I knew because I knew they had good laughs. Oh, and yeah. I wanted to make sure that they like they were evenly spaced throughout the room. Yeah, and we didn't sell the room out, but we got like two hundred fifty. There's people. a lot of people there. there yes. were, we sold two hundred fifty tickets. Yes. I did not give tickets away. I didn't give like I think maybe. Maybe half a dozen. I didn't give tickets to like to family, or I, I just was like, the you know, this is my thing. I don't ask. I don't ask you to come to every open mic. I don't ask you to do this. But if you can come to this and support it, and I was able to pay the film crew and stuff out of the money we made, and it was just, it really felt like part of us. Like there were comics from Detroit and Cleveland who came. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they came and bought tickets. They didn't even tell me they were coming. They didn't do the, hey, you got a, you got a guest list? Or, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. just, I just was out in the lobby pacing around and they walked in the door. And I was like, oh my God, why would why would you do that? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I try to do that now as because I know how good it made me feel. Like I've just shown up at people's recordings in other cities and stuff like, didn't you know, I'm not like, a, hey, I'm going out to do this. Yeah. Look at me. Just buy a ticket, walk in the door, yep. take a seat. And and you have a good time. It's you know, it's not it's not like a one of the things we all say it at shows, we're always like, Thank you for supporting live comedy. But it's like such a PBS fun drive thing to say. <laughs> like, thank you for burdening yourself with the support of comedy. You know, like come do it because it's fun. Come, yeah. you know, it's there's a comedy show when it, a good comedy show is like it's it's not too long it's about as long as a movie mm-hmm. and you're going to have a couple drinks you maybe have a, some food or whatever and you're going to you're going to have a, somebody say some funny stuff and and you're going to you know there's i have people who will sometimes just randomly message me on facebook that saw me in you know Iowa or some 7 or 8 years ago yeah. that'll be like Hey, I saw a guy on the side of the road with this on his car, and it made me think of the joke you did, or just some. Oh, ra- wow. And it's like, God, yeah. that's that's been living in that dude's head since I said it, <laughs> just laying there dormant. Yeah, and holy crap, I, that's that's mind blowing. Yeah, and that's but that's but then I, as a fan of comedy, I get I do the same thing. You know, I think of I think of I'll randomly just start laughing, thinking of some not even like the punchline of a joke, but just a particular wording or a particular phrase or something that just really makes me think of that friend of mine or think of that comedian and it's such a for all of the baggage that comes with comedy and all the weird schisms with comedy and like mm-hmm. and there's a lot of it is stuff that you don't really even know about unless you're doing it and it's such inside baseball that no one gives a crap about but at its purest form it's just man that person said some hilarious shit and it made me <laughs> laugh so hard and that's gonna stay in me forever yeah and and that's being able to 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 enjoy that and being able to give it to to do it for other people is the best thing in the world. That's yeah. I I do the same thing. Like I I love going to shows or like I went to Mike Zars taping. Right. Uh, Sam Rager when she had one. Like it's just going there and knowing I'm gonna have a good time. A lot of times my wife and I will like for Sam's. I think we we got a hotel and we stay the night there. You know, like nice. just to make like an evening and also support. Or when people are selling things like. I like supporting that way because I, they're doing something that I wish I could do all the time. 
like right. stand-up comedy. Uh, but I can't. So if I can support you and, and it helps you uh, get get better or get further or whatever, then then I feel like a you know a little part of me is like with you, right? And, and right. that's that's the cool part of it. Yeah, there's a lot to be said. Like that's and that's one of the things that kind of tying back to the to the music scene thing. You know, since I stopped playing music and I don't write professionally, I got to I got to a point where I was writing for a couple magazines and websites. And then about 2010, I just pretty much around the time I started doing comedy, mm-hmm. I was so burnt out. Like before everything went digital and they were just sending links, I would probably get like a dozen CDs a day in the mail mm-hmm. every day. My mailbox was just you know I had to get a PO box because I was getting so many, and it was all things I was supposed to write reviews of. Oh, and I just got. I was sick of it. I yeah. never just went back and listened to music for fun. I didn't. I wasn't a fan anymore. I was just cranking out prose. I was like, <laughs> this band really challenged themselves, but their riffs are this and that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I just, nobody cares. And I just got, I got, I quit pretty abruptly. And I just started going like, today I'm going to just listen to Iron Maiden all day. Hmm. I haven't done that in years, but now I can, because I'm not on a deadline. It's not a chore anymore. And now... Especially now, you know, we kind of bottomed out with everybody going online and streaming and stuff. But now with like sites like Bandcamp and uh, there's and this with social media, you can keep up with bands so much better and stuff. There's so many ways to just support like I'm just forever like someone will post a link to a song and I'll be like, I love that song. And it's then I'll find the band's Bandcamp. Oh, they're selling a cassette tape for seven bucks. Click. Just bought, you know, and it's, uh, you know, do I need need that? No. But is that band going to be able to do stuff because they sold a hundred cassette tapes mm-hmm. that no one really actually physically needed because they're already listening to it on their computer. But it's nice to have the thing. Yeah. And it's nice to be part of that. It's nice, you know, yeah. And I, I, I really reconnected, I think with being a fan of stuff mm-hmm. because I think for a long time with, you know, playing music, trying to get ahead in music. And then even when, when I started comedy and I was there for a while, I was a little bit, you know, single-minded and like I'm grinding. I'm out here doing. I gotta. <laughs> I I drive the furthest. I do the most stuff, and I'm yeah. you know. And then it's just like just just and just like what you like and be into it. You know. Yeah. Just, and so you know, and it and make it more of a two-way street where you know I want people to support what I'm doing, but I also want to reach out. I want to support. I want to be a fan of things and be take that pleasure in watching somebody get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you have to do both. Yeah. It's like, there's a really good uh, Stephen King book called on writing where he talks about the, like the process and he's like, you can't write if you don't read. Mm. And that seems like the most basic thing in the world, but he said so many people never like they get out of college or high school. They never read another book again, mm-hmm. but then they want to write novels and everything sounds like the six books they read in high school. <laughs> They don't have any frame of reference. They don't. They don't know what's current. They don't know what people are doing. And you see that sometimes at open mic, you'll see someone who's probably never watched a comedy special past fifteen years ago, and then they get up and they start doing jokes that are really stale or like clearly like a product of someone who grew up in the nineties. And you know, it's like somebody just doing like a. You sound like Dane Cook, right? Or yeah. like you know, you know, you'll see a guy just get up. Oh, I've always wanted to do this, and he just sounds like Ray Romano, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, things have moved on a little bit. Yeah. I'm not saying you got to reinvent the wheel, or you know, but you know, when you're when when we can pick your influences from that far away, yeah, then everybody has to start somewhere. But I don't think you can grow in any field unless you're also like you enjoy it yourself and you're a fan of it and you're immersing yourself in it, kind mm-hmm. of. Well, I think uh, too for for me, I think you might have been. 
at the Funny Bone for one of my very first times I went on stage. I remember like talking to you or saying something to you afterward. Um, but for me, and I can't speak for everybody, but like Anthony Martinez and Mike and Reese, those guys, like I felt like we like looked towards you all the time and like, hey, what's what's he doing? Or you were always putting shows on or running open mics or doing this stuff. And I felt like you were a big help here. Uh, and I only know it for the four years I was I was in it. But that was my perception. And I know that because, you know, you put me on shows or you took me with you once in, in Michigan. And, and I don't know if I, you know, my, uh, my, my wife just found this, literally just found this today, the Clotta Comedy Series. Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, and I was looking on here. We saved it, obviously, because my name was on it. Right. Uh, but she found it in a drawer. And I was looking at that. I was like, man, I don't know if I – if I should have been on there or not. Um, <laughs> but it was so much fun to do. And that was my longest set I've ever, it was 20 minutes, the most money I ever made doing it. Right. But it was, it was such a good time. And I knew like, and then I would do, I, I think I did your rooftop series once, but I knew like, Hey, if Keith is running it, it's going to be, there's going to be no issues with this. And I, I always felt good. Like if you were at a show or if you were at this new open mic that I was going to, like I knew it was a legit thing because you were there and I just appreciate you when I was doing it. Like, I appreciate you being around because it made me feel more comfortable in knowing, like, why I should do these things. Or if I had questions, I could ask you about things. Man, well, I, I appreciate that. And yeah. I, I don't take that lightly. Um, it's weird because I definitely had that kind of – I think coming in a little bit older, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, God, I mean, recent and recent Anthony were like 21, I think, when they started. So I was, you know, I always had that little bit of a den mother thing going on. Yeah. And then when I started taking the initiative to set things up and stuff, you know, a lot of comics don't want anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to learn more about, like, the mechanics of running a show and stuff. And I wanted to be able to, like, sort of swap with other people. Like, hey, I can book you on this thing if you can help me get something in that oh, city. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it was a lot of hopscotching from place to place. Yeah. And, uh, and I did... But it's weird to it's it's weird to to have that role where people are kind of looking up to you or looking to you for advice and things, and then simultaneously feel like you're just starting out. Like, yeah, I you know, like I I always feel silly giving people advice when it's like, well, I haven't done anything. <laughs> I I can't get booked in Detroit. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's and it's, but it it is. I try to be cognizant of where I am in the, you know, in in the thing, and and, and I try to help people when I can. Um, because I feel like I spent, I do spend a lot of time on negativity, and I try not to. Mm -hmm. But you see so many people who are will go and just be willfully ignorant. You know, they'll go and try like they'll show up at an open mic and like I'm gonna offend everybody, yeah. and I'm just gonna you know they'll just do things that are counterproductive, or um, or you see people who are just genuinely do like bad people things, like you know they'll they'll steal somebody's room from them, or they'll harass a comedian, or. And it's, you know, when you see that. So when I see people that I think are on the right track or who, if there's anything I can do to help them, I love helping bring them up. Like yeah. right now, um, you know, like I've got a couple headlining weekends in the next few months where I'm bringing John Ruggiero, who's yeah. like a newer. Man, he's, I love him. <laughs> he's so. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, now, I mean, and it's funny because when I came back after being away for a couple of years, there were really new people looking up to him the same way that like you guys would like look to me for stuff Yeah, that John was kind of that. And you'd see him kind of lean back in his chair. Like, well, what I would do is, <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about? You're a baby. You're yeah. not. And I was like, no, he's been here for like seven years now, dude. And yeah, you haven't yeah. been, they don't know who you are. <laughs> 
So yeah. it, it, it was having that break was a really good sort of mental palate cleanser for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really down on comedy for a while, but I think a lot of it was more just me reacting to the pandemic and to the world at large. Okay, It wasn't so much... I was misplacing a lot of negative energy toward the world <laughs> into the thing that I spent the most time on. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was mourning, too, because I had gotten to a point in, by the beginning of 2020 where it really was a full-time job. Yeah. Like, it was a full-time job for me for a while, in quotes, because, you know, I was basically working from home during the week and then running out and losing a bunch of money driving places. <laughs> but then I was I got to the point, like... I actually, it's like something out of a sitcom, but in January of 2020, I looked at my calendar and I said to my wife, I think this is going to be my year. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was nobody's year. Right. <laughs> but that month, I headlined in different states every weekend. Mm-hmm. I made I made about as much money as she did at her day job just doing comedy. Yeah. And I was like, this is the dream. This is what we've been, we finally, I was very cognizant of that moment. Like, we we put the time in. We knew it was going to be a long slog through this as a family. We had a talk about it. We did it. We had a plan, and we're doing it, and it's working. And then everything comes to a stop. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was really – I got – I was pretty upset, and I was pretty mad, and I and I was definitely like, well, screw comedy. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> and you, it's so hard to get out of it. It's so hard to, to – when you, when you have those moments that are so great on stage when you really connect with people and stuff. Or when you're sitting at home and you think of something or you observe something that you, oh, my oh God. that would make such a yes, good bit. all the time. That's what, you know what brought me back? This groundhog in my backyard. Really? There's a groundhog in my backyard <laughs> who struts around like he owns the place. He sits up on his haunches and he eats leaves off the tree and stuff. And I sit and watch him and I'm like, I gotta talk about this damn groundhog. Yeah, I gotta tell and, somebody. And it went, I, now I have a 10 minute bit that starts with the groundhog and ends with talking about my dad in a nuclear war. <laughs> Wow. And it goes into this whole, and it's really like, it gets into some deep water with like stuff about when I'm growing up and mm-hmm. like the small town. Like the reason I never saw a groundhog up close is because I lived around a bunch of people with guns. There was no such thing as a close up groundhog. <laughs> a close up groundhog. There was a faraway groundhog and there was a fine pink mist. That was it. <laughs> and uh, now I'm running bits. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> but you're fine. Uh, but it goes into then like growing up with my dad and mm-hmm. the kind of guy my dad is and how we were different and, and but it all came from literally just me looking out my kitchen window drinking coffee watching this stupid groundhog yeah, yeah. and I was like I got I want to talk about this I this is something that would be funny and it made me think of other things and then that like the, all those little like Lego pieces start connecting in your head and and then you're off <laughs> yeah yeah it what well, it it made me. It made me so happy to see, like, hey, I'm doing this thing again because I know how much you loved it and and how much time you put into it and everything. And um, I still like, I still write stuff down every once in a while, like, oh, this is cool, you know, or this is funny, or if I say something funny, you know, when I'm coaching or um, to my to my staff at work, like all these things that that I could could talk about, or I think about like, oh, this would be a cool show. I worked at a the Providence Metro Park in Grand Rapids, and they had that canal boat. And my boss there found out he 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 uh, found out I did stand up comedy. He goes, I always wanted to do a comedy night on the canal boat, and I was like, that would be awesome. I was like, and I have plenty of people. Like, if you want people on here, I know people that would come out here. And it's just something that that never happened. Um, but I think it'd be a cool thing, especially because everything's so old there, and it was just like. Um, I always I told him too. I was I had these jokes about forcing people on this boat and they can't leave, you know, because it's a comedy show and it doesn't matter if you're good or not, they can't leave. Right. Um, 
or uh, even working for the Metro Parks, like we have an awesome uh, rental spaces, like all these places that could that could do things, you know. And I think that's where I'm shifting towards is like just creating spaces for people. Right. But it was to go back to originally, like I was so excited to see you doing it again, and I'm glad you are doing it. Um, do you have like, are there like, are you? I know you 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 would book a lot of your own tours. Are you is that any anything happening like that now, or is that still still off a little bit? Um. Well, I just started. I think I have two actual like headlining club weekends on the books total i'm in south bend next month and then i'm in traverse city in march um i just talked to my friend Derek sheen who's a comedian who uh out on he's based out of seattle he was just he just came through on a tour okay and uh he's around the same age as me we have a lot in common as far as like dealing with these sort of like what are we doing you know you know he was doing he was literally just like closing out the open mic at grumpy daves and bowling green mm. like that was you know you know it's like i came all this way to and this is what i'm doing yeah but he's also working on a new hour of material and he goes out and opens for Pat and oswald and stuff so oh, he's wow. so he's got you know he's doing these little low rent shows but then he's got a place to go and do these big things too yeah and he and i are talking about possibly doing a uh, West Coast tour in the summer. Oh, nice. So I really want to go back and hit some places. I I said I wasn't going to travel too much, but then I find that I'm missing a lot of places. And there's a lot of places, too, that I would like to get some closure, if, if, if it makes sense. Like, there's one particular club in Rochester, Minnesota called Goonies, and I featured there four times. Mm-hmm. It's ten and a half hours each way, and I drove out there to be the opener. <laughs> Oh really? And a couple times it was in on the route of a longer run I put together, but a couple mm-hmm. times it was literally just get up Friday morning at six a.m., drive all the way to Minnesota, do two shows, <laughs> do two shows the next day, get up Sunday morning and drive home. Mm-hmm. And it was always with the idea that this is going to pay off eventually. Yeah. The last time I was there, the owner actually was like, "Well, I feel like I got two headliners this weekend," and I was like, "Well, I appreciate that because I can't keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really need to headline next time." And he said, "No problem." And then, of course, everything. Oh, okay. All so right. I'd like to go back there again. I it's, a lot of it is just reestablishing those business contacts mm-hmm. and you know getting some new comedy clips online that aren't six years old. Because um, I really like as proud as I am of the Goldfish recording. Um, I'm still sending that out as like a clip and it's like this is from it's six years old now. Yeah. So I need new stuff on I need new, you know, Pete God, I'm I am i am gonna have to I'm gonna be somebody's dad, like, how do I make reels? <laughs> I can't get the Instagram to work. <laughs> and uh but I have to kind of get back into that aspect of it, get some new stuff up. I'm working on a plan to do some EPs. I'm going to just record like 20 minutes of new stuff and okay. get it on get it up on streaming. Okay. And then 20 more minutes get it up on stream. I'm not going to wait to do a whole album. I'm going to just get some new material out there. Um it's the the crazy thing and one and another really gratifying thing is, you know, I have my two albums that are on Spotify and Apple Music and everything. And I'm still I only really follow Spotify cuz it's the one I use as a customer. Mm-hmm. Um as far as like the statistics and you know the artist like you get the monthly breakdown and stuff and i don't even really dive into like oh i got two listeners in mongolia this week or whatever i know that there's all those stats are there um but they send you a breakdown of like and i still have like four or five hundred listeners a month oh wow which blows my mind for you know old i mean i put that stuff i mean i recorded it in 2016 i don't think we put it up until like 2018 but it was. It's still. It's all pretty old material at this mm-hmm. point, and it's still on people's comedy playlists. I know there's a couple of like, like uh, on Spotify at least. There's a couple of like Ohio, Michigan comedy playlists or some Midwestern comedy, and people are still listening to those jokes nice. and getting exposed to it. It's new to them. Yeah. 
and it really it's gratifying but also it gets kind of it lights a fire under like i, I gotta get some of this new stuff if you like that you're gonna really like this <laughs> stuff um if you like that listen to this groundhog bit right you're gonna love the groundhog <laughs> but i want to get these new things down and i want to i want to kind of get you know sort of established that i'm coming back but i don't want to be as single-minded about it as i was i don't want to do the tour i did right before everything shut down i spent pretty much all of november 2019 on the road oh wow and it was too much okay i almost at one point i was actually like actively disassociating on the road driving i was so tired (laughs) i was driving we had driven from cincinnati to huntsville done a show and then we were driving another hour and a half to my sister's house to get before i could sleep yeah and i was just i wasn't like drinking and driving i wasn't high i was just i was just and i might as well have been drunk because i was so i shouldn't have been driving and i see i look back now like that was why was i doing that how did he die he drove to a show to make 17 dollars. right it was you know monday night in huntsville yeah in a bar where they still let people smoke (laughs) (laughs) that had a lot to do with it because i was you know 40 doing 45 minutes in a smoky room when that's not the norm anymore it's like that's all of a sudden it's like i'm going to die it's a lot of work i feel like your body oh it it, it hurts (laughs) and then oh it's 90 minutes till i can lay down okay yeah and uh Luckily, we made it and everything, but it was it was there were it was very it was overly ambitious. It really didn't serve any purpose as far as like I don't think it made me a better comic, mm-hmm. but it's hard, you know. And I think another aspect of coming at it a little bit la- later in life, you know, I I didn't ha- I'd always had that like I have to do it all right now. Mm-hmm. I can't put this off till next year because I'm already forty. Or I'm already forty five. Whatever, and it's like. You know, I so I just would try to do everything at once, and then I would just wear myself out. Yeah, and I, I want to be, I don't want to burn, I don't ever want to be burnt out on it again. I want to be, I want to have as much fun as I did when I first started, and it was just a bunch of us getting in the car and driving to Detroit mm-hmm. to do five minutes and talk to our friends. Yeah, and I don't want to lose that, and I, because I'm not gonna get, I mean. Uh, nobody's going to come pluck me out of Toledo and give me a sitcom or put me on Comedy Central. Those things are probably out of reach. And if they do happen, they're going to happen because I'm having fun, not yep. because I made myself drive 10 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. So it's well, going it's, to, it's just, a, it's trying to fit it into my life in a more enjoyable manner. And that's, that's what, uh, I mean, it goes back to the beginning. That's, this is the lifestyle you want to live. Let's make it the best we can do it without harming yourself or anybody else you know right and there's you know and it's easy to get caught up but then you know a lot of the stuff that you get caught up with becomes some of that inside baseball stuff where you're too, you're really obsessed with things that nobody outside that circle cares mm-hmm. about what they want to know is are you funny yeah are we going to enjoy ourselves if we come see you yeah are you going to be a dude that we're happy to follow on facebook because you make us laugh mm-hmm. you know our and you know that's 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 all and anything beyond the more you the further you get from that center the more you risk, I think, not having, not making it a good part of your life. Yeah. So I try to trying to focus on the good stuff. <laughs> well, good man. Well, I appreciate you coming out here. I'm so happy that you're you're back in it. Thanks. Um, and I look forward to to coming out and watching you um, whenever I have free time. <laughs> uh, we're still in the midst of football season here, but uh, again, man, thanks for coming out here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks, everybody, for checking out this episode of the Nerdball Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're hearing this on any of the podcatchers on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We're kind of coming at you two times a week now, audio and video. Check us out on all the social medias. Just search the Nerdball Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram, TikTok, we're out there. Uh, Gmail is thenerdballpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to shoot us an email, we'll be happy to get back to you. Thanks to Real JP Multimedia, Cuttlefish Graphics, Perrysburg Junior High STEM Lab, and Big Daddy Graphics for helping out the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.